Uh, there doesn't seem to be any way around. I just wonder if you've ever had one of those moments. If you're a follower of Jesus, whether you've had one of those moments with another follower of Jesus, just not able to agree on the right way forward, just uh, at a dead end, at loggerheads with somebody else. If, if you've not been there yet, you probably will find yourself there at some point. Now, how can that happen if both of these sides are genuinely trying to follow Jesus? And where do things go when you end up with that sort of final disagreement, that dead end at the end of the road? Well, we're working our way through a book called Acts in the Bible, and that tells the story of the very, very first churches uh, about 2,000 years ago. And it's a book from the distant past, right? But we believe very much that it is relevant still to us today. There's loads still to learn. And for the last two weeks, we've been looking at one of the key turning points in the history of the church. A moment when it seemed like the central truth of what we believe as Christians was in danger of getting lost, the heart of the good news message about Jesus some people started claiming, well, it's not just about Jesus. There are some extra, to- extra boxes you need to tick. You know, what Jesus did on the cross, that was, that was great. Excellent, super important, essential. But it's not enough. It's not everything. Now, the church called a big meeting. All the key people got together. They had a big debate about it. Everyone had their say. And the conclusion, one that we still stand on today, was this glorious statement we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks and also this morning, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. There's zero we bring to the table. There's zero we need to do to um, add. Jesus did it all so that we can be back in relationship with God. We can all become, in fact, children of God. Now, this, this brilliant message has come down to a place called Antioch, to the church where the problem had flared up in the first place, so it seems. And there's great joy there as a result. And then we're picking up the story off the back of that. Once the dust settles, after that big upper and everything is going fine and great, do you know what comes next? Sadly, it is a bit of a downer. Now, Katie's going to read for us this morning, and we'd love you to follow along with us. Is Katie going to read for us? You are. I wonder where you were, Katie. I was like, Katie's gone. Is she gone? Is she gone? But she's not. Um, She's fine. So um, we'd love you to follow along, and so you can refer back to what we're talking about this morning, too. If you've got one of those blue church Bibles, we're in chapter 15. That's the big number 15 you're looking for in the book of Acts. Verse 36, the tiny, tiny 36. And fortunately... It's on page 1111. I've been waiting for that for a long time. But we're actually on page 1111, uh, Acts chapter 15 and verse 36, or just top right on page 1111. Thank you. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. 
Well, what we've got here is some unfinished business. Now, Paul and Barnabas, the guys at the center of this section, they've been on this huge, months-long, thousands of miles-long mission trip together. They've been telling people the good news about Jesus. Uh, We've been following them in our readings all through the summer. Uh, It's a big, long story. And then there's this big hoo-ha about extra boxes to tick that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. That got resolved. What happens next? Paul decides it's time for a bit of a checkup. Uh, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord. And let's see how they're doing. You know, it's like it's been a long while since you've seen the dentist. And the dentist is just wondering how you're getting on. So he decides to leave his office and wander around to your house and just see if he can get a look in your mouth. It's kind of spooky if that happened. Me and dentists, we've really not been best buddies through time. A bit like a checkup, a bit like a checkup going on here. Um, But these churches, they're going to be much happier to see Paul show up than a dentist. Uh, Certainly back then, dental practice back then, not highly recommended. We should be very thankful for where we are today. Any dentists? Um, love your work, um, but, but I'm going to speak like this from now on, just so you know. Um, one thing to notice, though, as we're passing through, is that this seems to have been Paul's idea, um, where that first time they went on that huge, long mission trip, uh, on that epic trip, it was something much more supernatural. Here's that first trip, that first giant trip got started. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit himself said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Now, this, this second time, when they're about to set out on what is an equally epic trip, There's no special message from God this time, but it's still going to turn into a God-led trip in the coming months. I point this out because sometimes we get all either and or about how guidance works, right? We might say, don't move a muscle unless God tells you to, don't go. Or right at the other end of the spectrum, we might think, look, you're just on your own. You've got to figure it out, pick yourself up and get on with it. Well, what we're seeing here with these two different trips from Paul is a both-and approach, right? Sometimes God has very specific plans for a church or for an individual, and he might tell them. Other times, we're allowed to be the ones who take the initiative. That's what this looks like, and it's okay. We'll see God is quite able to take hold of what these guys have started and turn it into what he was after anyway to redirect it. So, okay, Paul thinks it's time for a checkup. He thinks it'll be a good idea to go with his old travel buddy, Barnabas. But here is where things get a bit tricky. Barnabas thinks, great, this is going to be exciting. Um, We should bring more people to the party. And he wants to bring one guy with two names, which is one of those Bible things, right? It just gets a bit confusing. One guy with two names. So John is his Jewish name and Mark is his Roman name. And this morning we're going to call him John Um, because... He's not called John Mark. They're just different names in different contexts. So he's John, okay. The moment Barnabas brings up the name John, do you know what happens? Paul's like, nah. That name brings back some painful memories for Paul. Uh, imagine the scene. Barnabas, son of encouragement, is what that name means. Barnabas is all sweetness and like, he's like, great idea. Let's bring John. And Paul's like, oh, no, not John. No disrespect intended to any Johns with us this morning. Um, This John, you see, joined Paul and Barnabas on their first trip, uh, for a bit at least. And then he split just when things were about to get really interesting. Right from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, John left them. It just doesn't sound that bad, does it? It sounds all right. 
Um, he joined them and then he left them, fair enough. Maybe he didn't like the food once they got to the continent. You know, or maybe it was just all uphill and he was thinking, I don't really like hill climbing. I'm not going to do this. Um, maybe he just needed to get back to work or back to his mom. Um, but that is not how Paul sees what is going on. Today's passage, today's passage expresses it like this. Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he deserted them. In Pamphylia, hadn't continued in the work. Paul doesn't see John as having left them in the earlier trip. He he deserted them. He was a he was a flake. When the going gets tough, what does John do? Well, John walks off. You can imagine the conversation. Oh no, Barnabas, John, again, I'm not going back through that. This is an important mission. We need to finish the work. We can't take some guy who doesn't finish the work. We need finishers. Again, to all the Johns here, no disrespect intended. Has somebody let you down? Has somebody like totally failed you at a critical moment and walked off the pitch? Then you know what it's like to be in John's shoe, uh, in Paul's shoes. You know what Paul's feeling. He's like, no way. This is real trouble when somebody walks off. This is a right pain. But if you're thinking, well, maybe things are going to work out differently next time. Oh, he's a good guy deep down. He deserves a second chance. Shouldn't everyone get a second chance? Then you know what Barnabas is feeling here. Barnabas is thinking and feeling this just as strongly. Because we, we don't just get the painful memory brought up. We get a painful separation here. They had such a sharp disagreement, it says, that they parted company. Now, a sharp disagreement is a, is a very polite translation of what's going on here. Let's not mince words. This is a, it's a fierce argument. Most likely, tempers flared. The, the original Greek word here is used of irritation, of being provoked, uh, of uh, think, think like a, a cattle prod. That's what the word is connected with, or spurs, stabbing somebody else. That's, that, that's what this word is used. It's for, the, the word is used for the convulsions a body goes through when it's wrecked by fever. This isn't Paul and Barnabas peacefully working through a dispassionate analysis of the pros and cons. Let's together list the pros of taking John Mark. Let's list the cons. Let's evaluate these. I think on balance, there are slightly more cons. Let's not do it. That's, that, that's not how this works out, right? This is like one of those head-to-head debates before an election. Everyone's shouting at everyone else, no, no, John, no way. Definitely John. No, John, no Barnabas. He's a deserter. He's my cousin. Something you find out elsewhere. But frankly, frankly, this is not what I would like to find in the pages of the Bible's telling of the story of the church. Like, this isn't what I would like to believe went on. Um, This isn't the way the sausage got made, as Hamilton puts it. There are so many better ways this could have worked out. It's worth saying, by the way, if you're with us exploring this morning, that this argues strongly for the authenticity of the accounts we're reading. I mean, who would make up a breakup like this? But that's where this ends. Who create a fiction that reports something so distasteful, something which shows its heroes in anything other than the best possible light. Surely if you're inventing this, right? If you're inventing this, you're going to invent all sweetness and light. Or at least, if you're editing, you're going to airbrush out the worst moments. Paul, Barnabas, can't you just get along? You know, can you imagine the primary school teacher with arms around each of them saying, I need you just to talk to each other and sort this out. 
I'm sure other people in Antioch tried to reconcile them, knowing just how powerful they'd been as a pair, but, but no. Now, it doesn't tell us in this passage that they prayed about it, but you can be pretty sure they prayed about it. They're the sort of people who prayed about most things. Um, and it's fascinating here that you don't get a divine resolution either. You know, you just need a prophet with a word from the Lord. Take John or don't take John. That's it. It'd be sorted. They'd be together again and be solved. Or a dream or a vision would do equally well. But none of that. You get this sharp disagreement and parting is the way that it ends. God doesn't always sort out everything for us. Now, it's a, it's a sad ending to a brilliant partnership. Their first partnership was pivotal in the expansion of the church in those early days. And now they're so sharply divided. Who's at fault? Who's made the mistake here? Whose error is it? Well, the, the Bible doesn't tell us. We, we just don't know. Maybe neither of them. There's one um, ancient commentator. Well, it's not ancient. One commentator, F.F. Um, Bruce, writes this. Luke does not relate the dispute in such a way as to put Paul in the right and Barnabas in the wrong. In view of Luke's restraint, he says, it is idle for the reader to try and apportion blame. We just don't have the insight to know who was in the right and the wrong. So that's us told. Perhaps Barnabas puts the focus on the person. He's all about John. Perhaps Paul puts the focus on the mission. He's all about delivering the message from this council and encouraging and strengthening the believers. But what you don't get here is a rule of thumb saying, you should go this way. These ones are always more important. Those ones are always more important. There's no side taken really at all. Let's be frank, this is all a bit of a mess. But it's the true story of the beginning of the church. And we believe it's here for a reason. Everything in the Bible is useful, uh, even if it can be pretty hard to see how sometimes. So let's look at this disappointing section where you get this disagreement that can't be resolved, this division that results. What do we learn from this sad story? Well, I think the first thing is that serious Christians can't, always agree. Serious Christians can't always agree, and we might like that to be otherwise. We might like that not to be the case, but here it is for us laid out on the page. These are serious Christians, right? They've traveled thousands of miles together. They've spent months and months in each other's pockets. They've been in desperate scrapes, near death. They've seen great victories and huge advances. You know, they both have a whatever-it-takes attitude to this critical mission they're involved in. If anyone could work through this, it'd be them. If anyone could just get over it or put it behind them or compromise, it would have been these two, but, but no. Yet, you don't get a Bible smackdown for either of them. You know, like Barnabas, having failed to sort out a compromise, went off and was never seen again. You don't get one of those. You don't get, you know, so the Lord struck Paul with a terrible disease because he just couldn't show John the grace that God had shown him. And incidentally, I don't think this is about whether Paul could forgive John or not. That wouldn't make any sense. I'm sure he knew the prayer Jesus had taught his disciples well, and he too would have regularly prayed, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So I don't think it's that sort of issue, or Paul really would have been in the wrong. I think we're looking at two different views on the right way to accomplish what needs to be done. Two different views on whether involving John is a win or a lose for that. Two very different views, but different views on how to accomplish things. Now, serious Christians don't always agree on the right way to get things done. 
So sometimes serious Christians can't work together on it effectively. They have to go their separate ways. So don't always expect you'll be able to work it out. Don't always expect one big happy family walk in in lockstep. That's a bit depressing, isn't it? That's a bit depressing, but I think that's what we have to see here. It's real. Even as I'm saying that, some of you are thinking, phew, I don't need to try and get on with X. I can just ditch them and dump them and walk off, whoever or whatever that is. But as much as we don't always agree and we can't always go the same way, you'll find tons of places in the Bible where it encourages us to try, try, try. Yes, you have to work for peace. Yes, you have to be humble enough to let others um, be considered more important than yourself. You have to be willing to go others' way when you don't want to. You have to try. These are all Bible stuff. Do what you can. But maybe you really have reached an impasse. Maybe you've just actually watched other people arrive at that sort of impasse and be divided. Either way, the passage shows us the truth that serious Christians can't always agree, and sometimes they do, just need to go their separate ways, sad um, though that is. If you think it is always, always going to work, always, always going to be possible, there'll always, always be a path, today's passage says, well, nope. Like Unless you think you are better at this than Paul and Barnabas, or you demand that somebody else is better at this than Paul or Barnabas. So first up, serious Christians can always agree. But I think second, and more importantly, the bigger point for us to see today is that our mess, our human mess, does not derail God's movement or God's plan. In fact, amazingly, God can be at work in the middle of this sort of mess, in the middle of this division, through this rupture. Do you know what we end up with? We end up with two mission teams on the field rather than one. So mathematicians, here's a cool one for you. God turns division into multiplication. How's that? God turns division into multiplication. Instead of just Paul and Barnabas, now there's one team, Barnabas and John, another team, Paul and Silas. It's like a horror movie where they say, we just need to split up so we can cover the ground more quickly. And it's the right thing to do. Wouldn't that be good? You know, don't you just hate it when they do that, by the way? But here, after they split up, they really do cover the ground more quickly. This should be a profound encouragement to us in the mess of our world because our world is just like filled to the brim with mess. That means there's plenty of division around, but God can still work through that division. Despite all the division, despite all the mess, God's movement can still advance despite it all, which is a good thing. Or there wouldn't be church here. It wouldn't still be around. Our mess doesn't derail God's movement. And that's been true down through history. It's still true today. Think about the mess of opposition, right? Think about the church not withering under ferocious opposition and persecution, but instead thriving and growing. That's true millennia ago. It's true still today in places like Iran and even Afghanistan, the mess that that is right now. It's true through the mess of failure. Think of Peter. Denying Jesus three times and yet still called to lead. Or think of the deserter, John Mark, who, if you follow his story all the way to the end, you know, we'll find it comes full circle. He uh, is back at the heart of God's movement. Through the mess of division, whether it's factions at war within the church threatening to lose the gospel message, 
which led to the events that we were looking at the last two weeks, or just individuals at loggerheads like Paul and Barnabas here. Through all of this, God can still work. Through all of this, his movement still advances. And that means that here and now, despite the mess, we can be confident. We can be confident of this. And and there is mess, even at Hope City. We're not all shiny, happy people holding hands. If you've not experienced it yet, you will, I'm afraid. We are no perfect church, but even here, despite the mess, we can be encouraged that God's movement, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything movement, that movement is advancing. Now, I want to close by taking a moment just to bring this a little bit closer to home for us to think about what this means for you and me here today. Well, first, if you are not part of God's movement yet, I think this shows you the authenticity of what we're reading, right? It's an unvarnished history, warts and all, that we've looked at today. It's not a fairy tale somebody invented. There's also a testimony to God's power in the fact that the worldwide church is still here despite our mess and our uselessness, our division and brokenness. Despite the brokenness inside each one of us, then and now, we still haven't managed to sink the church. God is great enough to build something wonderful. But second, I guess, if you've met this sort of division firsthand, if you've lived through it, uh, it can be really painful and upsetting, disappointing, depressing. I want to encourage you not to give up. uh, Not to lose heart. I know for several people here, this is a real part of their story. This is something that they've experienced firsthand. And I don't know everyone's stories. There are plenty more, I'm sure, I don't know. Don't lose heart. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on God. Don't let a root of bitterness grow up inside you. Don't let a hardness of heart that won't risk again because you've been hurt in the past. Don't let that develop. Choose instead to believe the truth that all of our mess can derail God's movement. Choose to believe that God can work it through it still, that he can turn our division into his multiplication. Don't lose hope in the mess. And, and I guess, finally, I would say, if you feel like you're in this spot right now, if there's a sharp disagreement and it just seems like it would be easier to go separate ways, it's really important that you don't read every situation into this passage There's a danger we start thinking, if Barnabas and Paul couldn't work it out, I definitely can. I should just quit now. We just give up and give way way too easily. But this isn't how every disagreement ends. It's not how every disagreement, uh, every difference of opinion between believers ends. Often there is careful listening to one another, gracious compromise, humble submission, And a precious unity, one out of the back of that, that is worth the trouble and the pain and the difficulty. Don't give up too easy. But do know this, if it ends with division, that is not the end of God's movement. It's not going to sink it. Our mess doesn't derail God's movement. I'm going to pray for a moment just now. Lord, um, I guess I'd probably rather this story wasn't here, and yet in some ways it gives me comfort when we face a disagreement and division in the church and among people who take you seriously. So I pray, Lord, um, might you comfort those who are hurting from division in the church. I pray for healing. 
and restoration. I pray that uh, there wouldn't be bitterness planted in people, there wouldn't be hardness that sets in, but that you would deliver us from that. Lord, I want to pray particularly for those who are facing division right now, who are kind of the hot spot, the heat of the moment. I want to pray for wisdom and grace for them. Lord, please help them. Help them know when to try, what will help, what they can do. Help them know when it's okay to disagree and to go separate ways. And Lord, I want to praise you that you can turn even division into multiplication, that you can work in the midst of our mess, that our mess doesn't derail your movement. Thank you that you are the great God of this truth that Jesus plus nothing is everything and that all our hope can be in that and not in anything we do or don't. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. We want to bring you praise and glory for your great work. And we pray you be at work in us and through us still. Amen.